You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. From baseball's top personalities. The great Chris Russo joins us once again. To the game's top players. Joining us is the All-Star. Matt Chapman with us. You never know what stories you're going to hear. If you make your way down here, I, I might be able to make some time and go out there and see the great Chris Townsend. This is A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. Welcome to another edition of A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. You're going to love this edition. We're going to have a couple A's. Current A's. Sean Manaya. Ramon Laureano, how about former A, Eric Burns, and then the voice of your Oakland Athletics, the great Ken Korak. We're going to start with Sean Manaya because recently it was the anniversary, the two-year anniversary of his no-no versus the Boston Red Sox. What a night it was. I mean, it made April really, really special. The outing was absolutely incredible. Here is the big left-hander on one of the best moments of his career. Well, now joining us here on A's Cast Live to relive one of the great moments in Oakland A's history is the big left-hander Sean Manaya to talk about his no-hitter against the Boston Red Sox. Sean, have you been? It's been a while since we've seen you down to spring training. I know. It feels like forever uh, that we left, but um, now since the whole quarantine thing started, it's uh, been pretty boring, but, you know, just trying to make the, the most with the time that I got. So. Um, yeah, just uh, doing as much many things as I can to keep my mind occupied. You know, the one thing we've tried to do here with A's Cast Live is bring on familiar voices. Because I think for, like, A's fans, it's kind of like their release to hear whether it's players, whether it's Bob Melvin or Scott Emerson. It's just a release for people. It's big for them to hear your voice. So we, we, we really <laughs> appreciate you coming on today. And, and when you look back, what are those fond memories for you when you look back as really the greatest moment of your career? Uh, yeah. I mean, it was, uh, like the whole day or like, uh, you're just talking about like, I guess like certain things throughout the game or like, is that what what you're asking? Yeah. Well, take us through. That's a perfect way to go through it. What was it like getting ready for that game? Cause you know, this is a really good lineup you're facing. This is the Boston Red Sox. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the night before, I remember uh, vividly, like, I think we, we lost, like, a really close game uh, to them. Like, they came back in, like, the ninth or something. I, I don't know. Like, they – like, the, the loss really stung. And uh, I remember them celebrating, and I was like, all right. Because um, I already had, like, a um, – like, on a personal level, you know, those guys that owned me, um, especially, like, the first two games I pitched in Fenway, like – I think I, you know, when it combined like four innings or something like that, like wasn't good. Um, so like personally, like I was already like upset, uh, and I was like ready, ready for that game. Um, and then just like that, the night before, like the night before I was about to pitch, uh, I remember them like that stuff happening. I was like, all right, like this is uh, this is it. And um, yeah, I think I had a little bit extra focus that day. I don't, I don't know. I mean, it was pretty normal. Altogether, like I uh, did my regular routine when I got breakfast, and then you know chilled out, did all that stuff, and then it wasn't uh, really much different than any other start. 
uh, didn't feel any better. Didn't feel like my pitches were any sharper or anything like that. It was just a normal day. And, um, yeah, it was just a good thing to happen. Had, had a little bit of luck on my side. And, uh, yeah, obviously, like, no hitter happened. And that was, uh, that was wild. But, um, yeah, overall, it was just a pretty normal day um, altogether. At what point in the game do you say to yourself, I'm throwing a no-hitter? And it really kind of, you know, I don't know if it's the sixth, it's the seventh inning. When in the game did you realize, wow, this is going on? Uh, yeah, I mean, honestly, like, I didn't really notice it until uh, the seventh, I'd say, seventh or eighth. Because, um, I, I, like, after Marcus dropped the ball, I thought it was a hit. And uh, at the time, I, like, I felt like I was pretty uh, superstitious. And for some reason, like, I never, like, checked the scoreboard. So, um, yeah, I didn't even, like, think anything about it. As soon as they, like, he dropped the ball, then I just uh, was like, all right, well, there's that. It's a hit. And uh, let's just keep going. So, uh, yeah, that's pretty much what happened. And then, you know, I uh, started realizing that nobody was sitting on the bench. And um, <laughs> that's when I, like, finally looked up and saw that there was no hit still. And I was like, oh, okay. This is, uh, this is actually happening. So, yeah, it was, uh, it was wild. Yeah, it's so funny how, like, no one will talk to you and everybody's superstitious. <laughs> it's, it's, pretty, <laughs> it's, it's pretty ridiculous. But what's it like going through that when all, all of a sudden, like, you're like a pariah. No one wants to talk to you. Uh, yeah, I mean, when I finally realized it was pretty late in the game and, um, you know, I uh, kind of like owned up to it or uh, accepted it, I guess, and uh, just just went along with it. It, uh, you know, when I realized that nobody was uh, sitting on the bench, then it was like, all right, let's, uh, you know, let's lock it back in or let's just, uh, you know, keep doing what we've been doing. Uh, no reason to change it up and uh, just keep this thing rolling. And uh, I think that that's that really uh, helped put my mind at ease and not think about things too much and you know, not try to make it a bigger situation than what it was. So, um, yeah, I think that, that helped having that, that mindset. Yeah, and, and, and one of the great things about pitching a no-hitter is the fact that you actually throw a complete game is something that we don't see <laughs> – Oh hell, a whole heck of a lot in in today's baseball, and that's mm-hmm. gonna also be one of the gratifying things is that you win all nine. Yeah, I mean that at the end of the day, I think that's what is like I'm um, really really proud of um, is that the fact that I have a complete game and a complete game shutout in uh, the big leagues. Um, you know, like a no hitter, like everybody you know wants to strive towards that and. Um, you know, like that would be awesome to do every time, but realistically, that's you know not going to happen. Um, and I, I kind of think that um, having that mindset just leads to like frustration and kind of like being perfect every time. You know, like if you're you mess up one pitch, then then it's like, well, you're not perfect, and then you like that mindset. You just uh, everything switches. But um, you know, I think uh, you know going out there and going as deep as you possibly can, or you know, striving towards uh, complete games. Um, is a little more attainable and uh, like a more consistent goal, I guess. And, you know, if you end up throwing a no-hitter, that's that's awesome. You know, it's, uh, you go down history and, and all this cool stuff. But, um, yeah, having that mindset where you're like, man, I'm going to go out there and throw a no-hitter every single time, I think that just, you know, leads to a little more frustration. So you throw the no-hitter, and it, we all celebrate. It was a huge moment. 
What was it like for you after the game that night to really settle down and go, wow, I just threw a no-hitter against the Boston Red Sox? <laughs> uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was crazy. I mean, I, I remember sitting in my room and uh, watching the highlights over and over. Uh, I don't think I really uh, went to bed that night. Uh, you know, I was so amped up from the game, obviously. And then, uh, um, yeah, I think we had a day game the next day. So it was like, you know, I wasn't going to get much sleep anyway. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, they didn't really do much. Just uh, sat in the house and um, reflected on everything. And it was, uh, it was dope. Um, yeah, I didn't really, uh, I guess I didn't really celebrate that much. But, um, you know, I just got to do with the boys on the field. So that was more than enough. You know, I, I think for you, the number one thing going forward, and I know we've talked about this, we talked about this down in Arizona, it's about being healthy and that for the first time in a while for you, you're healthy once again. And once we get this thing rolling in 2020, that that you feel like you can just let it go again. How good does that feel for you, knowing that you are healthy? Uh, you know, I'll tell you, it adds a whole bunch of confidence to you um i i definitely say through all the uh stuff that i've gone through uh you know shoulder rehab and then um you know wild card game and all this stuff like um honestly it's just made me like want things a little bit more and having uh you know having the health and that like not having in the back of my head that like my you know shoulder or whatever is hurting um you know you can go out there and like let things rip um yeah it just adds a whole bunch more confidence uh to me and myself and i mean i can already like just the amount of confidence i have in myself right now is uh like more than i've had in a very very long time so uh yeah being healthy is uh is uh the goal and you know when you when you're able to do that and you're able to find some uh consistency um you know that the confidence level just keeps going up and up you know, I remember talking to Chris Bassett about this because, you know, everybody's like, oh, you just have Tommy John and you're good. And, of course, it just, it's just that the human body doesn't work that work that way. Mm-hmm. And Chris talked about struggling going through Tommy John and just the relief that came back into his life of being able to throw the baseball again the way he's done his entire life and to feel good. And I think of also you and – going into this season to really when you look at this pitching staff with six guys deep and this is going to be a shortened season i really like the way you guys match up right now because of the strength of what you guys have as starters just talk mm-hmm. about how excited you are to start this 2020 season with your guys's group because it is so strong <laughs> uh yeah um yeah I'll let the boys loose and um, see what we can do, but you know, I really believe that um, you know if everybody can stay healthy, um, which is the number one thing. Uh, you know, I think our rotation's one of the best in the league, and uh, you know, I think everybody believes in that, and we all like you know lean on each other for whatever it may be, and uh, you know, I think that's where our strength comes. Like, you know, individually we're you know really really good, but um, you know when we all come together and you know do things together and and um, you know just become like a, a staff like a true staff um, that's where the the strength lies so um, I mean the boys are are ready um, and we're you know really excited for for the season so um, it should be fun being able to compete against obviously like actual competition and and uh, other teams and see where we're at but 
um, you know, against each other too. Uh, I think competition's healthy and, you know, pushes, pushes, pushes each other to, um, you know, be as best as you can. And, um, you know, I think we have that. So it's, uh, I'm really, really excited and it's, uh, yeah, hopefully we're able to start the season and, uh, you know, get things going. Let's end on this. How many people come up to you and they mention that they were there that night and what that no hitter meant to them as fans? Uh, you know, that's, that's one of my favorite things. Uh, like personally, I mean, no hitter is awesome. And, um, uh, you know, it's, it's cool, but like, I'm kind of <laughs> over talking about it, I guess. I, I don't, I mean, I personally, I don't really like talk about myself to begin with. So, uh, I know like no hitter is like awesome, but to me, it's really cool hearing where people were or like, you know, like, yeah, man, we were uh, chilling at a bar and like, you know, uh, ESPN started putting the, you know, from the eighth inning on or whatever. And, you know, we celebrated once he threw it. I was like, hell yeah, that's, that's awesome. Like, I love, I love hearing that stuff. And um, yeah, to me, that's, uh, that's really, really cool. And, you know, getting the, the fan uh, side of it. Uh, I mean, I've seen a couple of videos from the, uh, from like a fan perspective, you know, the recording, uh, like the final out and just seeing the whole crowd go crazy is, uh, is absolutely wild. So, um, you know, I'm glad I got to be a part of that. And, um, you know, I'm able to share those memories with uh, random people, um, people that come up to me and, and just tell me how uh, what their experience was. Because uh, to me, that was that was probably the, the cooler part is just hearing what everybody else was doing that day. You know, I never thought we'd have a conversation like this, but but it, it is great hearing your voice. I know A's fans are truly going to appreciate it. We thank you for the time and reliving one of the magical days in Oakland A's history. <laughs> Be well, be safe, and we'll talk to you again once the season starts. Yes, sir. See you guys soon. What a night it was for Sean Mania as he no-hit, which would end up being the World Series champion, Boston Red Sox. That lineup was legit, and Sean was just spectacular on that night. Ramon Laureano, not only is he a terrific player, he's a really good person. And Ramon is out there trying to help people and first responders in Oakland. And he's giving back to the community. So here's my conversation with Ramon about giving back and about also what could possibly happen with the 2020 season. Well, one thing that we've been doing here on A's Cast Live is bringing on familiar voices because we know you A's fans, you, you like hearing voices that, that you know and you love. And Ramon, thank you so much for taking the time. Ramon Laureano is with us here on A's Cast Live. How have you been? I've been good, uh, just hanging out, uh, working out, and just waiting for uh, a day to start baseball, uh, going crazy at the house. Yeah, I think everybody uh, is feeling that way. But but the first responders, yeah. I know, are so important to all of us, the people who are on the front lines fighting this virus. And you're reaching out to help people at Kaiser Permanente and also the Oakland Fire Department, helping to provide lunches. What does that mean to you to reach out to the city of Oakland and the first responders and to let them know, as someone like yourself, a great baseball player, it means a lot that these people are really the true heroes? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's something uh, I have always dreamed of, helping people in any way that I can. It, uh, it doesn't necessarily have to do about being have money you know but uh trying to find a way to just help him then and i know they're going through a tough time they're pretty they're heroes now and uh and just wanted to give back a little something to to appreciate them for all the help that they have done 
And they, and they continue to do it right now. Yeah, because you know when that lunch shows up, there's got to be something that really warms their heart when they know that someone like yourself is reaching out and showing that you care. Because I'm sure there's a lot of dark moments for them, a lot of tough yeah. moments. And when they get that lunch, they know that people like yourself are thinking of them. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm all, I'm always thinking uh, of those people that help, you know, us human beings. And uh, I know they go through tough times. They've been going through tough times lately, of course, more than ever. And, uh, yeah, just try to give something back and really appreciate their, their work and their passion to do it. Yeah, because I got to think that, you know, for us, when we show up to the ballpark, we're not worried that we're risking our lives. You know, we're very blessed. Correct, yeah. yeah, we're very blessed to work in Major League Baseball and to show up to the yard and this great game that's given so much to your family, to my family. And to think that when they're going to work, that that's a pressure situation that a lot of us will never have to deal with because this is a virus that you can't see. You don't know mm-hmm. exactly who has it at all times. Their working situation is definitely far different than ours. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Something that, uh, I mean, just like I told my cousin, he's a doctor in Dallas, and uh, I'm like, hey, bro, you're a hero now, you know? You're uh, you're helping all these, they've been, they're helping all these people. Uh, it's something that, I mean, a lot, of, a lot of doctors, you know, have gotten the virus, a lot of fighter fighters, a lot of uh, nurses, and all those people that put their life, on the line for us and uh and it's just you know it's emotional it's something pretty pretty it's just they're heroes i mean there's nothing else to say they're pretty much heroes right now yeah i really appreciate their work now that we don't have baseball i know we all miss it so much what does that do how much more do you love this sport now since uh, we're not able to play it right now yeah I, i i mean it's just tell you how to appreciate every single moment that you get when you step on the field. Appreciate uh, every single second you get with your teammates, your coaches, and everybody around the umpires, the the medical stuff, the strength conditioning stuff, and the clubhouse guys. You just really appreciate like their job, appreciate uh, the memories that you make with them, the jokes and all that stuff. Uh, is uh, it, it helps you reflect a little bit more on on you know the sport and all the moments that you get with them and uh yeah i would have never imagined my life without baseball so uh it's a little different i get down a little sometimes but uh yeah i keep you know the head up and people are going through worse times so uh just just bless what, where i'm at right now and praying for those guys for the for the people that are not having a good time right now at this moment you know this off season there's been a lot of people have looked at you as like a budding star, as a guy that's going to really change his game and take it to the next level. What is it like for you? I don't know if you got to see it, but what is it like for you to get national recognition? Uh, I mean, uh, I, I still I haven't seen it, to be honest. Maybe a little bit, but I don't feel like it's a big deal. But uh, but uh, I'm just nowhere I want to be, so I just got to continue to get better and continue to uh, – help my the team win a championship and that's all I really care right now. And obviously individually just continue to just get better every day and uh and really don't have a end line just to just keep going, keep going so until I can hold up.
You know, I like how you mentioned championship because I, I fully agree with you. I think at this point for the A's, once this thing gets going again, is not yeah. talking about division, not talking about playoffs. The goal has to be to win it all. That's how talented yes. you guys really are. Absolutely. I mean, uh, we feel obviously the front office has worked for the 2020 season and the 2021 season. The, I mean, the 2020 season beyond. And uh, we have a really good team overall. We're very happy. We know we can do it. We work hard for it. I mean, I know everybody works hard for it, any other team to win a World Series, but uh, I feel like we we really do. We have the the complete package. I, I feel like we do, and uh, we have the chemistry. We have we have everything, and we just gotta show up and play, win a bunch of games, and finish with the ring at the end. And uh, and then people are gonna start talking about that we just play half of the season, but then we're gonna come up the next year too, and then we're gonna win it again. And then. That's what I uh, that's what I'm thinking right now. I I absolutely love it, and then right now, starting Friday, we're going to honor the '72, '73, and '74 teams by playing their games. And of course, the A's won three straight World Series back then, and they're they're just two franchises have ever done that. That's the Yankees and the Athletics. And I want to talk about your game because when I watch you play, I, I I see you as a guy with like a football mentality. You bring it every single day. You come to win. You come to de- you come to compete. And I think you come to kick people's ass. And, and I really like that. And the one thing, when you get out of the box, you get a base hit, right? Whether it's right center, left center, you're rounding first, and you're you're going to challenge the outfielder and make them have to make a good throw to second base. And, and not everybody does that. It's the hustle. It's the fire. Tell us your mentality. What it's like when you come to the ballpark every single day. Yeah, just coming to the ballpark, I just want to, I just want to, I treat it like it's a fight, you know, like it's, it's like a UFC fight, and I'm just trying to, you know, just beat the heck out of uh, anybody on the other side, but uh, at the same time, I just kind of like, have it that I I have made in uh, in in college, you know, just be aggressive, uh, try to get to the other base, base get an extra base, and I put, put pressure on the defense. I know if you put pressure on my defense, I know it's going to be, I'm going to rush it a little bit and hesitate. And maybe I won't have the accuracy to throw, to throw where I want to throw it. Same thing with the, with the opposite, you know? So I just try to put as much pressure as I can. And, uh, <clears throat> and yeah, pretty much that's it. I know good things might happen if I put pressure on the, on the, on the other team defensively. And, uh, that's how I have always treated, treated like that. Well, the past couple of years, you've had some of the greatest throws that that, that I've ever seen in my career, and I've been around for a while. You you know, you got the great arm, but you also have the accuracy. What do you do off-season, during the season, to stay sharp with that accuracy with your arm? Uh, Well, I have a normal throwing program like everybody else, but uh, I I just play, play a little game like target targeting something in my whoever I'm throwing it to like they're for example like I'm gonna throw it to his head now and like obviously he's gonna catch it. I'm just like targeting whatever else I want or maybe uh I'm gonna target his glove whatever his glove uh, maybe his uh right shoulder his left shoulder and I just play catch and I try to be like a quarterback you know try to just like react like I look I'm looking to the left and then as soon as I look up 
my uh, my partner, I just throw it where I wanted to throw. But like kind of reaction time, you know, kind of I've been playing there for like four years now, three years since 2017, and and it has worked. Uh, it's been pretty good to be honest with you. It's like a, it's like a little game. I have fun with it. Oh, that's awesome! All right, so since since you've been uh, indoors a lot, not being able to do a whole heck of a lot, what have you been deep diving? What what kind of show? What, what what's been keeping you occupied? Occupy uh, HBO Boardwalk. That's what I uh, I've been locked in on that, and we're almost finishing it. And uh, and yeah, just playing a lot of MLB the Show game. Rich, do you play? You, do you play the A's? Yeah, I have a I have the Ace franchise. Like that's what I'm playing it right now. But I play more online. I play more uh, online games. All right, what's it like playing yourself in a video game? Uh, it's cool. I mean, hey, it's cool. It's pretty pretty cool. You dream about it when you as a little kid. So it's something pretty cool. But uh, I'm not playing that myself that much. So, <laughs> but sometimes. Yeah, because I I want to. I've always wondered if you're going to play yourself. Do you go? Wait a minute! I'm better than this. They didn't do me. They they did me wrong here. I see my overall rating. And I'm like, I need to get better. Like that's how I treat it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, thank you so much for taking the time, and thank you so much for what you're doing for the people on the front lines. It means a lot to them. I can guarantee you, and it shows you got a big heart and. Uh, Cannot wait to get this thing going again and watching you play center field for the Oakland Athletics. So thank you for everything you're doing. Be safe, and we'll talk to you soon. You too. Thanks, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Be safe. I love how so many A's are, are reaching out and helping people in the community. we got a lot of good guys in the clubhouse, I can tell you that. Also a good guy that was in the clubhouse from 2000 to 2005. He is an ultimate fan favorite. He's now turned into a TV star on MLB Network but he was a terrific Oakland A. Here is my conversation with Eric Burns. Burnsy, how are you? Hey, Chris, what's up, man? How are you? I've been enjoying getting my snow updates from you on Twitter up there in Tahoe. Well, that's the, uh, <laughs> I, that's the, I, I guess you could say the service that I'm able to provide to humanity here at this point. <laughs> and then, and then, And then the whole story about Sparky and hit ninth. That was that that was a beauty. That was a classic. You know what's funny is that that's it's Sparky's favorite story. And and the truth of the matter is I actually went in there and it wasn't just like, hey man, like you know, there must be a mistake. Like I said ninth and he's like, yeah, ninth. I go, Sparky. Effing ninth? And it it was it was one of the most epic exchanges ever. But you know, I, I think the kind of moral of that story, uh, a lot of it, is that you got to have a belief in yourself. You know, that's one thing where it was like, you know, I'd have said later in my career or whatever, like we all get humbled. But, you know, to think that I would go into, say, Bob Melvin's office late in my career and be like, dude, how am I possibly hitting eighth today? Right? Like, that, I wouldn't have ever done that. But when you're young and, and a little ignorant and a little arrogant and to have that confidence to go in there and say, Hey man, like this is nah, I'm better than this. Um, and, and it basically sparked response was, Oh yeah, well go, go out and prove it. 
Yeah. Hey, at least you're not hitting tenth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's the truth, dude. That is the absolute truth. You, you know, you're the only guy that I haven't had on from the top fifty, and and I remember that you're the, the crowd. You're running a little bit late that day, and we never got to talk to you about that. That was a big honor. It was great when you got announced and you came running out. And I think that's the thing that it was an A's fans vote. A's fans have always loved you. And I was telling the story before you came on. I think the reason why is I never got cheated when I watched you. I knew that every single game you played, you were bringing it. And fans really appreciate that. Yeah, I think I was able to relate to a lot of fans. I I think it's, you know, maybe there's a few different elements um, that you add in and the fact that it's, you know, it's from the Bay Area. Um, and I think probably most of all, you know, I sort of look like your everyday Joe, right? The guy that you might still be able to see in like a Sunday league playing, uh, but I just happen to be playing, you know, Major League Baseball. And, you know, on top of that, I don't think there's anything that I ever did that was pretty. Um, and it's funny because you look back on it now. I look back on it now. And I, I think there's probably, you know, part of that that was, that was endearing, um, you know, and then not to mention the fact that, you know, look, man, I, like I, it wasn't perfect for me. Like my ride wasn't perfect. It wasn't, um, I wasn't a, a top prospect that came up and, and was, was handed the keys to the Ferrari and say, Hey man, go ahead and have yourself a, um, you know, hall of fame career. It was, it was no, you got to come out here and you got to work for, every one of your starts, um, you know, even then, I'm not going to guarantee you that, that you're going to play the next day. Um, you know, I definitely, you know, went through some really, uh, really awesome hot streaks where I think that I was able to contribute to um, a lot of wins. And at the same time, I also think that, you know, I had my failures. Um, and, you know, as much as I think we all want to run from them uh, and hide from them, you know, I think for the most part, it's, you know, it's the failures in our life um, that are, are the things that, that teach us the biggest lessons. And, you know, mainly it's, it's, it's how to respond because, you know, we're all going to, we're all going to deal with, with, with BS. I mean, just look no for the situation that we're in right now. Um, but it, it, it's, how are you going to let that affect um, you going forward? And, and it's, we can't control things that happen to us, but we can't control our response. So um, I, I think that, you know, because I had, you know, two awesome parents that, that raised me the right way. I think I've always uh, been able to respond appropriately. Um, you know, and then the times I haven't, I think I was able to learn, um, you know, from that as well. You know, we, we got a lot of time to reflect right now since we're not playing. And we've been looking at a lot of A's history. And I think of your time with the A's and, you know, talking to a lot of your, your teammates, it was a very good era of A's baseball. It was a ton of winnings. It was a ton of classic games, and I know you guys were, for the most part, a real tight. You guys were, you guys were pretty tight. You were a tight knit group. Talk about your time with the A's, and there was a lot of good years in there. Yeah, just a lot of really good guys. Um, You know what's interesting is like, so the Moneyball thing comes up all the time, right? And a friend of mine just watched it the other night for for the first time, and, and basically had all sorts of questions and. Um, you know, when I get asked, like, you know, what, you know, was that what it was really like? And, you know, my response is basically like all, 
most Hollywood movies that are, are based on, on real life events and true stories, I like there's a, a ton of BS garbage in there, right? There's this ton of stuff that's just like, no, nah, that just no, that didn't happen, no, yeah, yeah, whatever. But there's also a ton of truth. Um, and so, you know, looking back and saying, let's just say Moneyball, for example, like the one thing that I'm not sure that they captured the right way was the closeness of the guys, right? Like, like it takes a special tight-knit group of dudes to be able to go out there and, and win 20 consecutive games. And, you know, essentially it, it got to the point where, like, nobody cares who gets the credit. Now, you could also make a case that, well, they did kind of show that. Um, it, it's, I think that's when, when you talk about having a winning team at, at, at a professional level, you really, uh, there's a certain element of guys driving other guys, right? So they're driving them with the performance, which obviously the big three did. But, you know, beyond those dudes, everyone always says, you know, why did they mention the big three or very little mention of them in Moneyball? It's like, well, dude, I mean, what about Corey Lytle? I mean, that, that dude, if I'm not mistaken, was our, was our best pitcher during, during that time. And so, um, you know, but that was driven by Hudson Mulder and Zito literally taking the ball every fifth day and they're chasing, trying to do what the guy, you know, before them did. So as much as there was, you know, this togetherness in, in 23 out of 25 guys going out to dinner um, and, 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 and maybe hitting the town for a little bit, um, there was also this competition um, that you saw, I mean, it, even with the card games on the plane, right? Like it, it just, it never stopped. You had dudes that love to compete and you had guys that genuinely liked each other. And then you also, you didn't have that backstabbing sort of element um, of, of guys that, you know, I, I mean, I, geez, I felt it several times through the course of my career. It's awful uh, where you literally have guys rooting for other guys to fail. Um, and that, that wasn't the case with, uh, with that group. Uh, for the most part, and, and especially with that 2002 team. You know, speaking of the movie, I've gotten to know Grady Fuson real well, and we had him on when I was down at spring training. And I think of Grady, and I think of Art Howe. If there were, if there was anybody who was done dirty, it was Grady, and it was Art Howe. You, you know what's funny, Grady? But here's the thing with that, and, and I'll make a, uh, I, I will make an argument that. Look, man, Grady stood up for himself. Like Grady's like, you know what? Screw you, Billy. Like, if this is how you're going to be, this is like, I'm not working for this. Like, this isn't, and it wasn't, and I think part of it, too, was that, like, Billy's flawed, man. Like, they showed his flaws. Like, even Brad Pitt's character, like, he's a, he's a flawed dude. And, and yes, and ultimately, he was right in, in, in a lot of ways, but I think Billy even would admit to, uh, you know, both of us that look, man, there was, there were some times, um, you know, that he had to work through his emotions, uh, in, in, in being overreactive and the same way I did, like you know, Billy and I had a couple of just epic blowups uh, at, at each other. And, you know, obviously I wanted to play and, and, and he had his algorithms and, um, everything else that, you know, and, 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 you know, a lot of times when you make moves as a general manager, you want to try to uh, validate those moves. 
And so, you know, no matter what it is, so Billy wasn't afraid to try different options. Um, and then that's when, you know, him and I say would have disagreements. Um, you know, I'll give you an example with, uh, geez, it was 2000, I think it was, it was 2002 when I got sent down um, right before spring training. It was like, you know, 2001, I, I played really well in Sacramento for the limited time I was there. I went up and down a number of times between the big leagues and uh, AAA. And then I ended up going to Dominican and I won the MVP award there. It's the first American, like 20 years to do it. Went to spring training, didn't get off to a great start. And then the last week of spring training, I hit three or four homers. And it was like, okay, phew. You know, I kind of solidified my place on the team and I ended up getting sent down. And, you know, part of that, you know, was what Billy said. He's like, dude, you had one walk and 50 plate appearances in spring training. <laughs> and that was, that was one of his things. You know, and then the other one is the fact that I believe it was Mike Colangelo who was a Rule 5 draft pick. And so in order to justify either a minor, whether he was a Rule 5 draft pick or a minor league free agent sign, you know, Billy, I think, took a lot of pride um, in whether it was, you know, Frank Manichino or Hatterberg or, or Colangelo or whoever it is trying to, trying to make these things work out, right? And I don't blame him for that either. Um, so anyway, the whole, the whole thing was, I just think really interesting. Um, and, and even with Art Howe, like Art didn't really give in to Billy either. So Art, so showing Art, who was Philip Seymour Hoffman, you know, being like, Hey man, I'm going to just, Billy, I see what you're trying to do, but I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And Pena should be playing. Well, the, the ironic thing of all this is like Pena was five times the player that Hatterberg was, right? When it was all said and done. So Art was actually right in that situation. Um, so anyway, there's just there's different elements, and and I know people say that Grady and Art both got, you know, the the bad end of the deal. Uh, look, you can't go up against Brad Pitt, right? No, no matter what, like you, you're trying to challenge Brad Pitt, it's not gonna it's not gonna work, and you're not gonna come out looking perfect. But but as a matter of fact, I, I really didn't think it was that bad. You know. A lot of players right now are on lockdown and they're telling you, don't go outside the house, stay inside. Only essential businesses are open. What would you do as a player under what we're dealing with now to, to, to keep sharp and be ready to go when the bell actually gets rung? Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens when these guys come back and how much of prep time that they're going to have, be it a week or two weeks. Um, you know, maybe last just to get them in shape to, to get playing again. So I, I think the biggest thing is just to make sure um, that, you know, you're moving every, every single day. So you're running, uh, you know, you're doing your sprint work, uh, you, you're, you're, you're taking swings. Ideally, you, you're, you have access to some sort of hitting machine. But my favorite was an iron mic. I, I would crank that bad boy up to, you know, as fast as it can go and, and, you know, you can even get closer to it to simulate the velocity um, to, to get your hands ready. You know, I mean, baseball is such a weird sport. You know, it's one of those sports, too, that it's not very easy to take extended time off. Now, I'm, I'm just going to, you know, speak from a hitter's perspective and then jump back into it. And I just say that because, you know, the, the, it's so complex hitting the baseball and the, the – basically the connection between the body and the mind and the eyes, right. For, to be able to, um, you know, see a ball that's coming at you at 
damn near 100 miles per hour and, and, and have the proper reflexes to hit it. And then you add in the two-seamer and the cutter and the slider and a change-up and a split finger and everything else. And it's just like, yeah, good luck, man. So I think that's, that's most likely going to be um, the most difficult thing as a pitcher. I got to imagine it'd be easier, um, you know, to stay. It's just tough to simulate uh, game speed. It's, it's tough to simulate that, that feeling that you get when you get the, you know, the third deck up there and, and you're pitching in a big league stadium. Now <laughs> that said, who knows if uh, that's going to be the case uh, when they do come back and, you know, as far as where they'll be playing, uh, but it, it should be interesting. Let's end on this. Love you on MLB Network. A uh, new part of your career is television. And like when you're on MLB now and, and you're getting after it with Brian Kenny, it's just great stuff. What has this part of your career been like for you now, the TV gig? Well, you know, it's funny. It's, it's um, something that similar to baseball. Like it's something I always had passion for. So I, I've always I've always loved uh, debating sports. And, and there are two things I wanted to do when it, with my life when I was a kid. I even wrote a paper about it in the eighth grade. And, you know, number one was to play professional sports. And number two was to go on the radio and talk about professional sports. And so, um, you know, I grew up listening to uh, Pete Franklin and Ralph Barbieri. And, uh, you know, my, my thing was, man, I bet that's, that, that was stimulating for me. So to be able to uh, transition – you know, into the broadcasting game and, um, you know, it was really cool. And then I've also been very fortunate to, I got into doing endurance sports and whatnot. And um, actually uh, we have our second um, documentary coming out uh, tomorrow night, all about a journey that I did across the country that started actually in Oakland during that mascot race. It's sort of the kickoff of it, but it's called let them play a triathlon across America it was supposed to go out into hundreds of theaters across the country um, in April, but because obviously of everything that's going on right now, that's not going to happen. So we decided instead of pushing it back, you know, even a few more months, we're like, you know what, screw it. Let's uh, people are, people are starving for content right now. Let's give it to them. So uh, tomorrow, actually it's let them play film.com. Just go to that website and, be able to stream it. It's a pretty cool adventure all about, you know, really kind of getting kids outside, getting them playing again and the lack of youth activity at this moment. And, um, you know, kind of our quest to, uh, to, to change things around. Say that again, one more time where we can see it. It's a let them play film.com. And then it'll also be up on Vimeo. So probably about the first 45 days is, is it's going to live on Vimeo and then on this website, let them play film.com. Um, and then the, uh, after that most likely is when we'll be on Apple TV and all the other ones, but to get it up as quickly as possible, Vimeo was our, our best option. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a really cool film. I mean, I've obviously had the opportunity to, to see it a few times and we've done, uh, a few different screenings. Um, but yeah, there is that, I don't know if, uh, if you saw it, dude, but it's, there is that epic mascot race that actually it's at the very beginning of the movie. So there gets the, uh, there's a nice, there's a nice, nice little, uh, Oakland, Oakland element, uh, to the whole thing, uh, at, at the start. Which hall of famer were you? Oh, I was racing them. So you got to oh. see this vid, man. This is, this is, I gave it everything I had. It was, um, you know, obviously the standard ones that they have, what are the Raleigh fingers and 
Ricky and uh, Eckersley. Yeah. Yeah. It, and then I had I had to I had to chase him down from behind. So, I mean, if you yeah, if, that that'll that'll that alone will be worth uh, buying the movie. And then uh, percentage of the proceeds obviously go to the Let Them Play Foundation. Um, and then specifically, we created a, a Let Them Play Foundation COVID nineteen fund, which we are going to raise money and um, to help out the kids of the um, health service workers. Uh, during this time, just to make sure they they have all the right equipment and everything else, and I mean that's been the best part about creating this foundation is that we everything's so grassroots and we're really small, but we've been able to make a tremendous impact with um, the money we have been able to raise. Well, we'll promote it for you. And when you said Pete Franklin, I remember when I got my first job at KMBR and Pete Franklin with "Up yours, Dallas, up yours." He was a legend. Oh, oh, you know, hilarious! And then he, the, the toilet flush is the thing yeah. that, uh, that I think I think got me. That that's when I'm like, dude, I need I I need to do this with my life. Like this is what I want to do. I want to flush people down the toilet. So when I worked for KMBR for uh, a little bit, I actually brought the the toilet flush back. Oh, hey, great stuff. We always appreciate the time. Be safe up there in Tahoe. We'll talk to you soon. Chris, thanks, man. I appreciate you having me on, man. Bernsey just gets you fired up. I mean, he makes you want to play. He makes you want to get up and work out or do something. I mean, he's, the energy he has is so infectious. Uh, I, I absolutely love the guy. Who doesn't love the voice of Summer? Who doesn't love the voice of the Oakland Athletics? Here is the great Ken Korak. Is this the voice of Summer, Ken Korak? Mr. Townsend, how are you today? Welcome to our millennial technology. Yeah, right. Hey. It's pretty cool, I think. It's a pretty good system you guys have devised there. Yeah, we just had Jeff Levering on, who does play-by-play for the Brewers, and he was saying, he was like, yeah, this is this is really – and I'm like, this is the future. This is what everybody Yeah, no. Doing. No, it works out well. Well, I've wanted to get voices on the air that are so familiar with A's fans because I think at this time we need to be a release for not only A's fans but baseball fans – and no one's voice is more recognizable than yours. And I just thought that it'd be important to bring you on just so A's fans can hear you and they feel better. Well, thanks, Chris. And what you're doing over there with A's cast, I think you performed a great service for A's fans and baseball fans in general, because anything we can do to provide a little diversion, uh, a little fun, there's only so much of the news you can watch, I guess, during a day. Right, Chris? Well, I, there's no doubt. I mean, you need a release and, you know, until we get games going, how, how, how's everything in Vegas? Things are fine. We're doing well. I haven't been to the Bay Area since uh, Fan Fest at the end of January, so we certainly missed that. And as far as the restrictions are concerned, it's very close to California. And right now it's just a matter of only essential businesses are open. So uh, the last time I really was out except to go to the market, things like that exactly three weeks ago so the 16th was the last day my wife and i really uh ventured out so it's very similar uh, i'm sure to what you've been going through with your family too chris yeah no, no doubt and we've been on lockdown for a while but it's working and that's what's good about northern california right now and that's what's good what's happening in south korea you know, this is going to be baseball's sitting back and watching South Korea. You know, South Korea is now they're starting to practice baseball. They're talking about mm-hmm. playing. If they do it successfully, 
I think that's going to make it easier, don't you think, for baseball to, to, to maybe get going in whatever fashion and how they're going to do it. South, South Korea did it first. Well, let's hope so, Chris, because baseball has a special place in our country, in our society. And I think if, if baseball can be played again this season, there's a symbolic aspect to that. Too, as I'm sure you're aware that it, it kind of signals a renewal that we've bounced back from this thing. But like Dr. Fauci said, uh, the virus will determine the timetable. But uh, we do have our fingers crossed that, that at least there may be some baseball later this year. And I think for a lot of us, we're just so excited about this A's team, whether it's 162 or it's 100 or eight, no matter what the amount of games, I, I think we really understand now how good this team is. And I can, I can tell you spring training, Ken, that uh, this team, this team's got a lot of confidence heading into this season, whenever it starts. Right. And I think that you and I've talked about this too, that this club can win a world series. Now, I don't know when that is going to be or when they might have their best chance. They're a young club. And I think a lot of it depends on the young starting pitching, of course, but it is. And I mentioned this on a show earlier today, Chris, the A's have impactful players. And it's one thing to have good players, but if you have guys who can really impact the game and you go all up and down the lineup and also out on the field defensively, uh, they have exciting, young, talented, but more than anything, more importantly, impactful players on their club. Yes, they do. And I think they got uh, potentially a couple – future MVPs, especially on the corner. Um, I don't know if you've been following baseball reference, but they're they're doing the simulated season. So they're playing these games. And so far, uh, Marcus Simeon has six home runs in like 10 games. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, if you're into war and things like that, those kinds of uh, metrics, he had an incredible war. And he used to talk about MVPs. Um, he was right up there this year in the balloting. And at first and third, they have candidates. And I think if you look on into the future, I think Ramon Laureano has a chance to be a real star as well. Well, And then, you know, you mentioned the young pitchers. You know, if you're going to have a season that's like 100 games, there's going to be no reason to have innings limits anymore on these young guys. I'm kind of hoping that it's just going to be, hey, A.J. Puck, hey, Jesus Lazardo, take the ball every five days and give me what you got. Yeah, we'll see how that plays out, too. I mean, if they do, if, if the season starts at some point, Chris, you're going to have to have a condensed schedule, which may mean more doubleheaders. And that will also uh, help define the team that has the best depth in their starting rotation, too. So, you might need to have seven or eight starters. If you have six or seven good starters, that would really bode well. Yeah, I think we're going to have expanded rosters because of. I do too. Break. Yeah, I don't think we're going to. I don't think we're going to have many days off, and with these double headers, and that's one thing you know, can the players' union will love that. Well, yeah, and if they're talking about twenty-nine players, Chris, and again, let's just let's hope it happens. Let's hope we have a chance to talk about. Uh, something like this. But the other thing is you're not going to have the kind of spring training that you normally would have. It would be summer training, I guess, now. And so I, I can't see that pitchers would be stretched out enough to start the season and go real deep into games. That would be another reason why you'd like to have a, a, a longer roster to start the season, at least. Have, have you been watching any of the classic games? I have, yeah. In fact, they, they were showing the 87 World Series today. Um, on MLB Network, the Cardinals and uh, the Twins. So, 
it's been fun to go back and watch some of these games and also hear the broadcasters like uh, the announcing team for this series was Al Michaels and Tim McCarver and Jim Palmer. And it's pretty tough to top that. That was a pretty good uh, crew they had there. Yeah, I was uh, I had to go to the grocery store and I was listening to Sirius XM, the uh, MLB channel. And it was an old Yankee game. I don't know who they're playing, but it was Mel Allen. And I'm like, I yeah. have his voice. Of course, the great voice of this week in baseball. Uh, but Mel Allen doing a Yankee game, it was awesome. Yeah, no, he was an excellent play-by-play guy. He was the voice of the Yankees, <clears throat> excuse me, Chris, for many years. And then was unceremoniously fired. It really broke his heart. It was a stunning thing. Then he came back. I'd imagine the game... But you heard might have been when he actually came back for the Yankees for a second go-round and did some games on cable TV, I think, uh, back then as well. To me, the, the World Series I always think about. Now, beside a Vin Scully uh, series and playing some of the old Dodger games was fun. But 1968, uh, when you had Ernie Harwell for the Tigers and you had Jack Buck with the Cardinals. I mean, that was some classic-sounding play-by-play. Now, people have asked me, can you just do a little bit of your mm-hmm. belly? Well, hi, everybody, and a very pleasant good evening to you, wherever you may be. <laughs> That's just a little slice, right? <laughs> I was because te- I was telling Cody, I'm like, I'm like, Ken Korak does a phenomenal Vin Scully, but he never does it on the air. He only do- it's like he only <laughs> entertain us in between innings. I don't know that it's that good, right? I mean, it's the best okay. I've got. But, you know. Dodger baseball. <laughs> well, Farmer John. <laughs> you know, it's like these guys. You know, did you see? Did you see that? You know, he was interviewed by Bill Plaschke in the L.A. Times, and Plaschke recorded it, and they played the the audio on YouTube. And then I think it might have been last week where Vinny recorded a message to the Dodger fans, and that would be appropriate for any fan or anybody in general. Uh, dealing with all that the country and everybody around the world is is having to deal with now. And it was just a great comforting message just to hear his voice. Would you say he's the biggest Dodger of all time? I think they took a poll and asked Dodger fans, this was years ago, maybe 20 years ago, to, to name, to determine your like top three Dodgers of all time in the history of the Dodgers in L.A., which, of course, began in 58. And Vinny won the balloting. I mean, he was—he has been considered the the most popular, most important Dodger, um, in, during, in at least in the LA era, uh, for sure. I mean, you could there are a lot of other people that would be candidates, but I think that Vinny was number one. Well, yeah, we were just talking to Jeff Levering of the Brewers as we're breaking down. Who works with Uke? <laughs> yeah, Bob Euchre, fifty years. But, but like I, I told our audience, I said, I want everybody to go on YouTube and I want you to watch Johnny Carson and Bob Euchre because Carson was king and Euchre was on there almost a hundred times on the Tonight Show, which was the number one show. You think of the movies he's been in. I mean, Bob Euchre is a big deal. Huge deal. And he was, he's still active. He still does the home games for the Brewers. He's well up in it, like in his mid 80s. It still sounds great. The other thing, I, I know you're going to mention this, you may have already, and speaking of players synonymous with the franchise, really sad day around baseball, Chris, yeah. especially in Detroit, to learn of the passing of Al Kaline today. Yeah, I was telling the story when, when I was filling in for you, 
about how it was just the engineer and I in our in our booth. I don't know where Vinny was. All of a sudden, Al Kaline appeared. Said, "How you doing? My name's Al Kaline," and I'm looking. I'm like, I, I know who you are, Mr. Kaline. Yeah, right. And well, that's the way he was. That is the way he was. The embodiment of class. You'll never hear anybody say a bad word about Al Kaline. I mean, as great as a player. As he was, he had over 3,000 hits. He won a batting title after all at the age of 20 in 1965. He might have been a better person. He had me go get baseballs. And he signed. So I went down to Voos and said, you're not going to believe this, but Al Kaline wants to sign baseballs for us for our community fund. So I got all these baseballs. And the next day he showed up again and signed all the baseballs for our community fund. And I went, what superstar comes in and offers, hey, I'll sign a bunch of balls and you can take them back to Oakland. Like, I never, I no one's ever done that. I was like, I was amazed. No, I know. And that's the way he was. And he did that for a lot of people. People throw around the word legend or the, the term legend kind of loosely now. He was really a legend. I mean, if you think about somebody who had that legendary, was revered in Detroit, all those accolades, uh, very much deserving by K-Line. And we talked to Tim Kirchin earlier today because he knew him real well going, he played 30 games at 18 years old. So basically he graduated high school, was barely in the minor leagues. And then was I don't think the- he ever played in the minors. I, I really, probably honestly, I don't think he ever played a game in the minor leagues. That's, that's, a, that's stunning to be in baseball right after high school. Yeah, and win a batting title in the American League when you were 20 years old. Can you imagine? No, I can't. I can't imagine someone being. I mean, we've seen like King Griffey Jr. come up at 19, but I mean to do it. I, Mike Morgan actually for the A's left high school and was pitching. It, did, it didn't work out well, but the fact that Al Kaline left high school and he's in the big leagues is just stunning to me. And he was a great right fielder. And Tiger Stadium was a tricky right field to play. And he had a great arm. He did everything. Uh, he was a five-tool player. All righty. We appreciate you stopping by. I, I think it was really good for the fans just, just to hear your voice, to make uh, give a little normalcy. And uh, hope all is well in Las Vegas. And hopefully we're going to be seeing you soon. Well, thanks, Chris. And thanks to you know, all you guys. What you're doing on A's Cast, I think, is really important for the A's fans. And, Baseball fans in the Bay Area. So keep it up, man. Keep up the good work. Well, that'll do it for A's Unfiltered. We want to thank Shamanaya, Ramon Laureano, Eric Burns, and Ken Korak. Now back to A's Cast, powered by TuneIn. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.